Founders face mentors and masters. I'm Captain Hawk, CEO of Founderspace, the leading global startup accelerator. I'm also author of the award-winning books, Make Elephants Fly, Surviving a Startup, and The Five Horses. I am here today with Neil Sperling. Neil is a super connector, global world-class, and problem solver. And Neil has an amazing background. So for those of you who haven't heard of him, who aren't already connected with him, he has been connected with over 60 billionaires, 15 Nobel laureates, former presidents and vice presidents, prime ministers, you name it. Neil has been there uh, putting them together. He does deals all around the world. And today we're gonna go deep with Neil on his vision for strategy and the research he's done around what it takes to become a genius. Neil, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. You know, whoever that was you just described, I'd like to meet him. He sounds pretty interesting. That's what I thought. That's why I invited him here. So thank tell you. us, Neil, about your background. Well, you know, all I can say is that there's a lot of people who have misfired a lot in life. And I'm actually somebody not ashamed to admit that failure has driven my success. And I think people can relate to that because I've been a misfit most of my life. But I found that one thing, there was one thing I was really, really good at. At 15, they tested me in school on puzzles. I didn't know there was actually about abstract reasoning and predictive modeling and how you could see how things could fit together. That's probably an area of my brain, though, that I didn't know that I could access. And I think it's important for people to be inspired by that small story alone, because keep going. If you know, you, a lot of people give up too quickly, but because of that test, uh, I, I took it. I had a half an hour and 15 minutes. I answered all the questions right. And, and I didn't know what that meant. And they came back. They told me no one ever done that before. So I said, well, what, do you, what would you like me to do? And they said, well, we'd like to make sure we didn't make a mistake and test you again. They did. And they gave me a different set of puzzles. And in 15 minutes, instead of the full half hour, I answered them all correctly again. But it's able to see how things fit together, uh, basically puzzle pieces and how they could fit together, not only how they fit together, but in the most optimal sequential sense. And so that led me on this journey to basically study genius and uh, not as not, not academic genius but actually creative genius and how to see how these patterns and recognize them could fit together so you can get more clarity and so as a result i became an entrepreneur and uh you know now i found my passion and my purpose so neil tell us on this journey in this research that you've done into genius and what it mm. takes to be a genius, what are some insights that you gained? Well, the most important thing was that I fell short. And so I wanted to understand why. And you have to start from a foundational level. And um, what I realized is I, you know, I, I had the hubris to apply to Mensa to see where I stood among other people. And I was three points short, <laughs> which was very frustrating and dispiriting. But then I thought, what if I could bring up my, my level to where it could be actually considered genius. And what is that about? And what is that process? And it was interesting because I thought, you know, if I can do it for me, maybe you can do it for other people. And that led me to study 20 years worth of some of the greatest geniuses and why they were geniuses. And what I discovered is that almost all of them were college dropouts. 
uh, because they were frustrated and they got things quickly, but not in the way that was being measured academically, but creatively. They shared this commonality of seeing how things fit together in the most optimal sense and very quickly and were frequently not wrong. And so I made it my business to look at people like Da Vinci and then later on, of course, Einstein, Edison, uh, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Buckminster Fuller. What I discovered is that they all had one thing in common. They were all systems thinkers. Everything to them was a system. And so that was very interesting to me because I thought if you could start getting in the groove of thinking systematically and systematically in the most optimal sense, then maybe genius was not only within my grasp, but within other people. And I ultimately learned that that is the case. Ultimately, all of these people started at different points, but they all met at, like I like to say, at the same intersection. So that's really interesting that you say systems thinkers, because you look at the really successful people in the world, whether it's Rockefeller, you know, transforming the oil industry, Carnegie with steel, they didn't think, oh, I'm just going to build a factory or make a product. They looked at the entire system that they were in, and then they figured out, what do I have to monopolize to control yeah. this system? Well, Steve Jobs was an example of that when he created Apple, particularly the iPhone. What he did is he basically created the platform. And then he looked at all the applications that people had. And it's just a matter of putting all those applications in one place and making it easy. The other thing I was reading about Steve Jobs, even this week, it's the 10th anniversary, as you know, of his passing. And there's different articles that are and will be coming out. But the one I found most fascinating was something that a billionaire mentor of mine taught me of 113 principles that he used to turn $3,000 into a billion dollars. And the principle was, and I'm sure you know it, reduce everything to its simplest level of complexity. And so that's what Jobs did. And he, whenever he gave a speech, he never uh, gave more than three examples because he realized that people can't retain that more than that. It doesn't have to be complex. It's actually the genius is reducing things to the simple. And understanding E equals MC square are four simple characters. They represent an amazingly complex subject, but that was Einstein's genius to do that. And I see this repeated across many examples, just like you provided. Can you give an example of how they've used systems thinking, like ordinary people, not Steve Jobs, not Elon Musk, but ordinary people could use system thinking to transform themselves? Well, I, I try to get people to think this way all the time. And I've dealt with many, many startups in particular that aren't as familiar because they're not thinking as systematically. Typically people who are far more successful, they're in the flow and they just do this naturally. So I've, I've worked with, with, with different people. And what I find generally it's lack of clarity. Um, so they, they may think that they're on step two when they're really on step one, or they're on step five and they're really on step two. And so the thing that I've learned with systems thinking, just to speak on a more broader level, which hopefully can help people in your audience, is that you need to look at everything, everything, weather systems, human systems, everything is a system. Love, um, dishonesty. There's systems for all of these things. And some people happen to be pretty, you know, really good at these different systems. But, but the point is every system is comprised of processes and every process is comprised of elements. And if you get into this discipline and start breaking it apart, it's like Edison looking at a radio and he wanted to study it and see how it was done and how he can make the system better. 
And so any small business person, if they do that, that's the first half of the sandwiches, I call it. The second half is sequencing it properly. When you have the optimal system and the optimal sequence, you have an accelerated result that you can go out with a competitive advantage and knock down all the barriers. Yeah, I see this in, with companies, with startups all the time too, that I coach. I often tell them, don't think of products, don't build products. Products are nice to have, but if you wanna really change things, if you wanna have an impact, if you wanna build a huge business, think of platforms. And platforms is another word for systems. That's what we right. call it in, in Silicon Valley. But, but the secret that I've learned is that you can have the best platform, but if you haven't started like Steve Jobs did with first reverse engineering from solving a major problem in the market, then you're still going to have a great platform, but it still may be inefficient because the system is ultimately human driven. And so the system has to be designed to solve human problems and human challenges in a very honest, authentic way. And that's another thing. I find a lot of people are in denial. They don't want to admit their mistakes or their weaknesses, but to design the best system, you have to get that all out on the table and you shall know the truth and it will set you free. Yeah. Just having a platform yeah. per se isn't enough if it doesn't meet the needs of people out there and right. actually work for them. Now, I want to ask in your personal life, hmm. how have you, how has systems thinking transformed your life? Yeah, it really has because I see everything as a system and I've helped people who've had personal challenges, professional challenges, business challenges, scientific challenges. I was actually flattered uh, when I was on a podcast with Jamie Greenberg, who teaches, you know, ultimate marketing approaches. And he said to me, Neil, I've listened to this and I really believe you've identified the system for all systems. And it was profound because I hadn't really thought about it that way. But as a result, I apply this kind of thinking in every area of my life, whether it's finding the perfect partner or I happen to be a bachelor, finding the optimal woman for me and the relationship. So how do you do that? Tell me, what, what systems thinking when it comes to finding the right partner in life? Generally, I'll, I'll stretch and broaden that out a little bit. For partnerships, it's about values. That's where it starts. You know, if you're going to be distracted by other things like how beautiful a woman is or how handsome the man looks, you're sticking with the superficial. So I reversed it now. When I meet somebody, I go to the core and I do a lot of uh, questioning and trying to find out how do they look at the world? What's their perspective? That's the foundation. And if you can build a solid foundation, you can then put up the house and then put up the roof because everything has a sequence. So I really like to get to know people and how they look at things and how they look at the world. I actually have told people, it also gets into honesty or dishonesty, which is really about dependability. So if you're looking for the optimal partner, you want to know you can depend on them. So I broke that down. I spent typically about three days thinking of what I call about the obvious, but I spent a lot of time to try to become the greatest expert that I can be or show up to be in each category or each subject system. So with honesty and dependability, which is the basis for the strongest partnership you can have, I figured out there's four corners of the person, just like there's four corners of a contract. You can have somebody who has great integrity, but if they don't have great judgment, can you depend on them? And if they have great integrity and great judgment, but they don't have great habits and they say they're going to do something and they don't show up or follow through, can you depend on them? But if they have great integrity, great judgment and great habits, but they don't have um, great temperament and they're bipolar or they're narcissistic, can you depend on them? Ultimately, i.e. trust them. And so what I look for is those four elements those of the system 
of dependability and interacting with different individuals and provided they have relatively high level because none of us are perfect, but it also can help somebody who's in business to know who to supervise and in what area just by having that clarity. It makes a huge difference. And you just laid it out very clearly, you know, getting these core traits of the other individuals so that you really understand them, really understand if they're compatible with you, if they're the type of person you want to spend the rest of your life with. And doing that upfront can save people so much time. Almost nobody does this. I did have a friend though, He's very analytical. He worked at McKinsey. He literally had a spreadsheet huh. when he went out dating with like a hundred different <laughs> qualities that he wanted in the person all the way down to eyes that sparkle. So, so. That's, that's great. And, you know, I was just on a webcast recently where Walter O'Brien came out and he says, you know, I'll, I'll get involved with anybody who has $10,000 for whatever question that they want solved. And it got into a discussion about this and, and particularly relationships. And he said, well, I have a whole spreadsheet on marriages and it looks like about 70% fall apart. And here are all the reasons. So if you're thinking about getting married and you strictly want to be analytical about it, I'd advise against it or words to that effect. I thought it was fascinating. What was your biggest challenge in life? Actually, self-identity. I, you know, I was good at a lot of things, but I wasn't great at any one particular thing, except maybe in this area. And, and I didn't know that you could turn it into a career because the Department of Labor doesn't exactly have a, a code for this, you know. But basically, anyone who has a challenge and they're too close to their own puzzle, I seem to be pretty good with stepping into it. The second thing was more of a, a spiritual uh, oddity that uh, I tell people, and I, I don't always share this, but uh, five years ago, I was deaf. I lost my hearing spontaneously and suddenly, and no doctor could help me. And I basically had no choices left. So I took it upstairs and, and I took it to God. And I asked for my hearing back on a certain day. And if I had it, I would know he'd heard my prayer. And what I was prepared to trade off was that I was going to put my agenda aside and be basically a vessel for whatever the universe, whatever you want to call it, the cosmos God wanted from me. So surrendering my agenda, now I find that uh, after having gotten my hearing back, I've had a miraculous, amazing people come into my life. And I'm working on some of the most incredible opportunities. I have friends who are working on ways to uh, end the uh, polar ice cap melt by changing the temperature of ice, believe it or not, uh, ending ocean coral bleaching, uh, uh, astounding opportunities. And I don't know how these people find me too, because I'm not on any social media. I, I have, I get 200 emails a day, up to 20 texts an hour. And I know that if I went on full bore on social media, I'd probably drown. And, and so I try to be selective and help those who really have important social impact uh, challenges that can benefit all of us and stay, stay in that zone. But I would say those were the two biggest challenges that I, I faced in life. Now, what's the best advice you've ever received from someone else? I have a, this mentor who taught me these 113 amazing principles. But as I said, the most important one is reduce everything to its simplest level of complexity. And the corollary, I think, is are you dealing with the problem or the real problem? And they're sort of overlapping. Uh, I have a lot of colleagues today who are, are brilliant and um, by nature, of course, also tend to be ADD afflicted. And they're charting, trying to do 25 things and do them well. And I basically share with them, pick three, three is a great number. Pick three things that constitute 80% of the 80-20 rule for your day. And make sure you just focus on those 
and get them done and make sure other people in the second half of your day are following through because no man is an island. We need teamwork. And provided you do that, you know, you can reduce the clutter and then also look at the things that are important to you and ask them, are they really important to you? You know, is it your ego and your ideas that you believe are, are fantastic? Or is it realistic enough that you can put that aside and just focus on things that are showing up and riding the horse in the direction it's going? Neil, it's been fantastic having you on the show. I want you to tell our audience, you know, they can't find you on social media. So how can they find you? Well, thank you very much. Um, it, it actually, I do have a website. I probably need to update it. Some people criticize that it's not beautiful and bursting with light and love, but uh, it's basically a brochure and it gives examples of people that I've dealt with and challenges that I've helped them with. And my uh, website is World Class Connections with an S, worldclassconnections.com. Uh, people send me a note there. Uh, it'll get to me. I, I respond within 72 hours. I've frankly met extraordinary people just having that up there. And so I'd be, I'm always welcome to talk to anybody provided that uh, they have a budget and they have authenticity. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you liked it, hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You can help us create more great content by subscribing and sharing. Also, if you want to access our online startup program, our investor network, and our entrepreneur resources, just come to founderspace.com.